Hey everybody, Pastor Derek Fry here. Everybody calls me PD. I want to welcome you to Connect Church, Church at Home. So wherever you are, I just want to encourage you to engage, to kind of get right into it with me. We are starting, what I love to do is kind of kick off a new series with you today. And so this is going to kind of be our Christmas series. It's going to have a focus on the Advent. And I think this is going to bless you in a big way. We're going to be unpacking a text from John chapter 1. This thing is full of theology. It is full of, um, you know, uh, creative words, really particular language that uh, St. John uses to really reveal some truths to us that are going to help you, going to help me in a powerful, powerful way. Uh, We're going to really focus today on John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. So I'm going to encourage you, if you have a Bible, if you're at home, you, you should be able to get a Bible, pull that out, underline, highlight, take some good notes, and then incorporate this message into your weekly devotions as we are in this season of Advent. It actually started last week. And um, here's the main text for today. I'll do some verses preceding this in a second. But John 1.5 says this. It says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Today's message is entitled, Overcoming Darkness. How many need a little help overcoming darkness? How many know that we are living in a dark, dark world right now? Perhaps for some of us in our lifetime, maybe the most difficult time, in our life. And so because of that, I want to open with a word of prayer so that God will make whatever I say today come alive to you. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you so much for sending your son into this world as a light into this world. Lord, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would use this message to not just bring information to people, but transformation for people. Lord, would you speak loudly? Would you speak boldly? Would you speak individually to people? Lord, even through the use of technology, I pray for an anointing on this message that transcends uh, time and space, that transcends whatever place they're in right now. Lord, quicken them in their mortal bodies. Lord, uh, prick them in their ears. Lord, I pray that you do something powerful in their hearts, and it's in Jesus' mighty, matchless, powerful name. Everybody said, amen. Now, Advent, it's not a subject I've really talked about, though we know probably a little bit about it depending on our religious background. Advent is about many things. It's about waiting. It's about longing. It's about hoping. But Advent is also about facing darkness. Maybe something you haven't thought about, but Advent is about facing the darkness in our world and in our lives. Um, There's a theologian named Fleming Rutledge, and he said this. He said, Advent has two faces to it. It has the face of light. It has the face of darkness. It has the face of holiday cheer, which we love that part, but it also has the face of holiday pain. What's very interesting is that during the holidays, I've often said this, there's not necessarily more problems during the holidays. We just tend to feel them more, but we don't want to. The truth is we don't want to. And the reality is we are called as as Christians, as Christ followers, to kind of manage the tension. There is this dynamic tension between holiday cheer and holiday pain, between, at a higher level, light and darkness. And for most of us, I would say, and I'm going to put myself in this in a measure uh, as pastor because I'm still a Christian too, it's hard, it's difficult to face darkness. 
We don't like it. And to the degree, though, this is kind of a principle that we'll unravel and unpack today. To the degree that we are able to, or proportionate to the degree that we are able to face darkness, is the degree that we are able to experience light. Think about that just for a minute. See, um, let me put it in a story. Let me put it in a personal illustration. I can remember um, many, many years ago, as a young boy, I'm going to say somewhere between seven and nine years old. I'm living in my mom and dad's house. My bedroom was right next to their bedroom. Uh, they would always close their door, as moms and dads do. And uh, I can remember at that phase of my life really struggling with nightmares. I used to have dark, dark dreams. They were not good. They were tormenting dreams. And now I can look back and say they were really demonic. There was some kind of generational curse there, and that may just went right over some of your head. That's okay. It, that was my story. It was terrible. And I, I used to think I saw things. I'd wake up sweating. I'd, I'd have to wake up my parents. They'd pray with me. It was, it was, I was tormented. And I can remember that um, something, I don't know, I just was so exhausted from the process that I just, I needed to do something about. Now, what, what would cause a lot of the fear for me was our house. We had an old, we had a beautiful house, but we had like the, the old baseboard heating where the hot water would be, you know, rush through all the pipes. And when that would ever happen in the middle of the night, it would make these crazy noises. Now, as a seven-year-old, eight-year-old, like I couldn't, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand a forced hot water. I didn't understand that a heating system was pushing things through the house. It just, to me, it sounded like something demonic, something devilish. What is going on? Where are those noises coming from? And I just couldn't bring myself to a place of peace and to a place of sleep. But what I did know this, I did know is I could locate where it was the worst. And where it was the worst was in the basement. More specifically, you know, in the bowels of the house was this back room where this heating system was. I didn't know that's what it was. But that's where the noises were the loudest. And, and these crazy noises, I don't even want to try to, uh, um, you know, replicate them. But I was tormented. And I'm just, I can't, un, I can't under... Uh, you know, state that. And so I got to this place in my life, and I don't really know what brought me to it, where I was like, I just have to see what is going on down there. I have to confront it. Some kind of crazy boldness or courage came over me as this little seven, eight-year-old boy. And I can remember tiptoeing out of my room, down the hall, not turning on any lights. Lord knows why I wouldn't do that. It's like people in the movies when somebody gets shot and they lose their gun. It's like, why don't you take the gun now and use it? They pass the gun by. And so I, I, I pass the lights. I don't turn on the lights. I go down the stairs. I go down the next flight of stairs. And then I come into my dad's den, his office, and then on the other side of that is this door. And this door enters what I considered the worst place you could possibly go. In fact, I, as a seven-year-old, it was like, if I open that door, I'm literally going to walk into the gates of hell. I was petrified. I can remember just holding that door. And for some reason, I, just, I, just, I knew that if I could face this, I could sleep. I'd, there'd be something that, something I just believed there'd be some kind of breakthrough. And I remember opening that door and, and, and getting in the room and it was, pitch black. There was, it was void of any light, and there was, and there was this, this eerie quiet. I shut the door, and I began to just shake, and I began to kind of like cry and sniffle, and all of a sudden, these noise started popping again, and all these little sounds, and I began to kind of cry, and I cried, and I, and I just remember something happened. I just got, I just got so tired, 
I fell asleep. I fell asleep right there in the bowels of the basement. And I woke up, and I remember waking up, and all of a sudden I'm like, hey, <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. I'm not in hell. You know, I'm all right. And I opened the door, and it hadn't yet, morning had not come yet. And I walked up the stairs, and I kind of had a little stride, you know, little stride. I kind of felt a little good about myself. I got in bed, and I slept like a baby. Now listen, as God is my witness, I have, had, I have not had a nightmare since that day. Not one. I, I, in fact, I don't even remember a lot of my dreams. I remember praying to God, just take these away from me. I don't want to have dreams. I don't want to have dreams. And I, honestly, it's, it's, in some respects, I, I'm jealous of other people. I know I have them, but I cannot remember them. I just get this wash almost every day. It's because I faced darkness, I was able to experience light. But darkness, for many people, is very hard to grapple with. You know, there was a man who came to visit me uh, a while back, and he was coming into the Boston area from out of state. And he said to me, he said, he said PD, I want to go to where the Boston bombings were. And I'm thinking, to my, something hit me right away. I was like, huh, he wants to do that. Here I am, a native of the area, and I've never been there. And, and I thought to myself, well, why is that? Well, I, I don't want, why would I want to go there? Why would I want to see that? Why would I want to face that? And, 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 and then shortly thereafter, I read a study. Uh, there was a study done of people who live in New York City. And um, they, thousands and thousands of people in New York City that had, ne- they were surveyed, and they had never been to Ground Zero at the 9-11 Memorial. And when they were asked why they had never been, though they were so close and so familiar and it was so near them, it's because they had no desire to face darkness. And see, that's a problem in a sense within our culture. It's a societal problem. It's an individual problem. And even now, the holiday spirit can kind of numb us to the realities of our world. Uh, We must understand, though, that in this Advent season, until we face the darkness, we will truly not understand our need for light. This is kind of a paradox of the Christian faith, that we only find ourselves benefiting from the light. We can only receive from the light, but if if we confront darkness, when we refuse to face darkness, we yet remain in darkness. It's crazy. It's a crazy thought. I understand this. I heard it said this way. The surest and fastest way to go to hell is to (laughs) refuse to go there. Now, I'm not trying to get anybody to go to hell. Don't misinterpret what I just said. What I mean is the fastest way to remain in our darkness or not confronting darkness is to never face darkness. And if there's anything that's true about Christians or should be true about the Christian experiences, it's about living in reality. A lot of times what causes problems for Christians is because they're putting on a front, because they're living a lie, because they're posing, because they're pretending something that's not true, or they go all the way to the other end and they live in darkness instead of face it. And this, this, this contrast becomes our problem. We are supposed to learn how to face darkness so that we can invite light into darkness. I'll continue to unpack this for you. But as we plunge ourselves or as we are willing to go into the basement of our lives, we then invite glimmers of light to sprout up and to spring up inside of us. And our resistance to facing that in our world, in our city, in our families, in our churches, in our individual lives, though it's difficult, it is essential. 
And John reminds us in John chapter 1 that we can live with great hope in the face of darkness. And I think that is extremely relevant today, and I think we need that today. And so John begins with these familiar words, these familiar words, and these words you'll see, it's impossible not to make, them, uh, make a connection to them in another place. He says this, he says, in the beginning, John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. Where have you ever heard those three words before? Well, if you're familiar with the scriptures all the way in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, the same three words appear. It says in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Yet the Spirit of God was there hovering over the waters, and in that darkness God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, we must see, first of all, from the very beginning in the Bible, this, these three words in the beginning <laughs> are not necessarily just speaking to us of science or a story of science so that we can kind of, the creation story is not just a story of science. This story establishes a key theological truth for us as Christ followers in the book of Genesis. And this is it. When God speaks... There's nothing anybody can do about it. Man, I hope I get an amen in the chat today because if I had a few hundred people in this room, they should be saying amen right now. Nothing can stop God when he speaks. God said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light because of a word. There was no vote. There was no committee. There was no conversation. It just happened because God spoke. And when God speaks, there's nothing anybody can do about it. And that should be an encouragement to somebody out there. The centurion learned that in the New Testament. The centurion who had a sick daughter. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, would you come to and pray for my, excuse me, would you pray for my daughter? And Jesus says, yes, I'll come. And he says, no, 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 you don't even need to come. If you'll but speak a word, if you'll just say it, she will be healed. And Jesus said, I've not seen faith like that anywhere. See, maybe, maybe this man knew, had some kind of revelation that Jesus, that he was looking at, that the Jesus that was right in front of him was the same Jesus who spoke and put the universe into its position and into its place. He spoke and the worlds were formed. Maybe he knew that he was the same one, that if he just said a word, was the same one who was the word. Come on, somebody. And so when God says something, there's nothing that we can, we can do to stop it. And that should be good news because some of us right now, wherever you are, whoever is listening, you need a word from God. Some of you uh, need something to change, but do you have the faith and do you have the revelation that this centurion had? That the same God who spoke in that story was the same God who formed the world who formed the universe. And so John begins by making a direct connection between Jesus and Genesis. And in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word uh, was with God. And so God, excuse me, John gives us a behind-the-scenes look 
of the book of Genesis in the book of John, chapter 1. And we get to see that Jesus is the clear agent of creation for us. And John helps us begin to see this Trinitarian theology of Father and Son and Holy Spirit unpacked in John chapter 1. We begin to see that John, uh, John unpacks that Jesus was more than a human being, that Jesus was God, and Jesus was God as the Word in the beginning. And the one, again, who formed, uh, you know, heaven and earth, the one who separated light and darkness, God wants us to know that Jesus was so much more than a human being. And so in John, he gives us, at a minimum, three theological truths about the existence and identity of God. Let me give you those, those three truths quickly. Uh, we see this in John 1.1, the pre-existence of Jesus. If you're taking notes, write that down. We see this in, in the New Testament. Um, uh, he didn't just come into the world. Um, he didn't just come into existence, in other words. He, 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 he was, when he was born, he was already in existence before he was born. There you go, PD. In other words, in the beginning was the Word. So, pre-existence. He was the Word in the beginning. Are you getting that? I hope you get it. We always used to say, get it, got it, good, okay? So, he existed before he became a human being. Then, two, the coexistence of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So, you see God and the Father. This is the beginnings of what we call Trinitarian theology. What a beautiful beginning to it all. There was this relationship. And then, lastly, we see the self-existence of God. Then he says the Word was was God. In other words, no one brought Jesus into being. He was, uh, for all eternity, he had, he was. He, he was the Word. He was God. And so we see all three here, the pre-existence, the coexistence, and the self-existence of God. In what's known as the Nicene Creed, it's kind of an important doc document in our Christian experience that validates John chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being, with the Father, through him all things were made. Again, speaking of Jesus. And so John starts just this whole thing off saying, hey, Jesus is more than a miracle worker. He's more than a healer. He's more than a teacher. He's more than uh, just a rabbi. He's more than your, your buddy and your homie. He's the son of the living God. He is God of God. He is light of lights. And he is the one we worship. And John lays this out for us as we begin this dialogue. And then he begins to transition to another thought. He starts to talk about darkness. In the middle of all that, once we establish who he is and how big and how great he is, he starts to talk about this problem of darkness. And in verse 5, the light shines in this darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. This phrase uh, we see again early on in Genesis. The earth was formless and void and darkness was on the face of the deep. That's how the whole thing begins. And what was the solution then is still the solution today. In the book of Hebrews, this, this, um, this scripture, Genesis 1-1, where the earth is formless and, and void and darkness filled the earth, the word there in the Hebrew, it's a weird word, it's tohu wabohu. <laughs> tohu wabohu. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to know that's probably not good, okay? 
But it's basically saying this, and there's usually word pictures associated with, with Hebrew, but it's saying there's a problem in the world and in the earth, and it was in the beginning. It was dark, it was formless, it was void, it was chaotic, it was out of sync. And the word comes on the scene to that situation. The word being Jesus, not incarnate at that time, but God in the form of the word. And in the beginning of John 1.1, we also see this scene of darkness. It's actually a theme in the book of John. Nine times, nine different times, there are these uh, interactions with darkness. In fact, one place Nicodemus comes to Jesus, and the Bible says he comes to Jesus in the dark, in at night. And it's all throughout this book, this contrast of night and light. And, and John is trying to get us to see that the world is out of sync, that it's stained with sin without light entering it. And when I talk about sin, by the way, I'm not talking about an action or a word you spoke. I'm talking about a condition of the world that needed a solution, and the solution to that pollution was God's light. And so our ability to be honest about darkness is not about being pessimistic. It's about being realistic. It's about living in reality. It's kind of our big idea. The Christian experience should be about living in reality, and in many instances, we're not doing so. So I think to personalize this or to you know, put this into our context as a church, I think about the darkness that many people are in within our church and within our spiritual family. And this last year, it's probably hit me the most and probably hit me the hardest because of the year that we have had, this pandemic being a big part of that. And over the past year, to the extent that I've been able to connect with people in Connect, I've often asked a couple of questions, two really simple questions. You know, basically, I would say in so many words, what has impacted you most during this season, during this crisis, during this pandemic, and how are you doing, or how do you feel? And those two questions always, I use that strategically, always surface, almost immediately, suffering, pain, anxiety, concerns every time. It's amazing. And I think about darkness, and I think about certain people, literally, People pop into my head. I think about newlyweds who were married and shortly thereafter are wondering, are we going to make it? Like, we've just started. I think about people, uh, guys, and maybe they're living in darkness and they lost their job and there's no sight. There's no... There's, no, there's nothing on the horizon. I think about the darkness of a family that is working through mental illness with another family member. I think about uh, a, a, a young girl who's gone through divorce and now she's alone and feels like a failure. I think about the darkness of someone who is wrestling with a, a debilitating, uh, degenerative, maybe even um, uh, life-threatening disease. These are people that I'm thinking about. I think about the darkness of a hate-filled world around politics that has polarized people and pol as a nation polarized us. I think about the darkness of poverty and starvation and homelessness and, and even up close uh, mass shootings and, and, and racial injustice. Listen, though. But I think about the darkness not just out there but in here. See, Christians have this uncanny ability to always say, yeah, the darkness in our world, the darkness that's out there, but we're so seldom taking that focus from there to here. 
What about the darkness that's going on in here? Let it not be said during this Advent season that we dare not locate the darkness that's going on inside of us. See, God and the devil are in a battle, but the battlefield is right here. We all have to wrestle with the darkness within. We have to wrestle with our dark desires. We have to wrestle with our rage and our anger. We have to wrestle with our wounds from our childhood and our emptiness and how we are still using certain coping mechanisms to deal with our addictions and to deal with them maybe through technology, to deal with them through some substance to assuage the deep darkness within. The truth is we all live with some form of, of darkness. And God wants to bring his light into that darkness so you can overcome. Advent reminds us that often our world and often our lives have been overtaken by darkness. And I've been thinking about this in my personal life in 2020 and reflecting. And, and I'm, there's things that I'm, I'm processing with other people I'm not going to do with you. But I can remember even recently this week processing with a friend that my wife and I have known for many years. And she she lost, you know, uh, you know, her marriage just failed and, and she's had to rebuild her life. And then she's in this dating, this dating jungle as, you know, a, a woman in, in our age bracket. And, and uh, she had a real traumatic experience happen in a dating relationship. And she realized this guy is not right for me. And there's just no way. And it was, it was incredibly obvious how... Uh, painful and, and, and the predictive uh, characteristics of this experience and what it would do to the future if they were to be together. Yet she had to admit as she looked within, as she faced the darkness in her own within, not just his, but within her own life, she said, but I keep going back to him because I'm more afraid of being alone. Uh, that insecurity. And I think we need to be paying attention. I think we need to be tuning in. I think we need to be looking within to certain reactions and to certain behaviors and to certain things that are happening in our life and allow God to shine his light in those dark places. And when we do this, God wants to exchange darkness for light and give you in place of it righteousness, right? Standing with God, peace, not like the world gives, and joy that brings you strength in the middle of difficult situations. And we can see this in verse 4 and 5 in John chapter 1. It says, in him, it says, in him was life. That is in Christ. And that life was the light of all mankind. Then it says, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. I wanted you to see something powerful about this light. John does something subtle and then something powerful, I think, happens that... I missed many, many times reading this, but uh, if, you, if you see this uh, scripture, you're going to see that there's a past tense, and then there's this, all of a sudden, there's this uh, present and future tense pops up. He says, in the beginning, look at this, past tense, was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, so it was in the beginning. He was in the beginning, and through him, all things were made. Can you see all this past tense? Uh, nothing that was made has been made. In him was life. In the light was the light of all mankind. Yet, then all of a sudden in verse 5 it says, but the light shines. The light shines in the darkness. By the way, this word, I looked it up and it is a, uh, it is a present continual tense. That means that John didn't say it shined, hashtag once, once. 
No, it's shining and it keeps on shining. So we went from something that was, something that, that happened to something that will continue to happen in your life, but there's a condition for it. The light keeps on shining. The light will always be there. Jesus' light will always be there in your life. It wasn't so, he didn't just come onto earth as a baby, uh, live a sinless life, die, resurrected, go home, and that's it. No, his light remains remains and it continues to work on the earth today and the bible says and the darkness has not overcome it why because the light keeps on shining it's this indefinite perpetual non-stop continuous motion and momentum of light and it continues to progress and you may not see it but the word you can take the word of god to the bank and cash the check it's still true and it's still happening even when you cannot see it can i have an amen out there and I'll explain more of that in a second. Another phrase, another translation says, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. I love that translation. In other words, uh, the devil doesn't, Satan doesn't even know what to do with it. He can't compute the light of God. He can't understand it. He can't rationalize it. He can't comprehend it. Another phrase, another translation says, and the, dark, the darkness has not been extinguished by it. In other words, you can't put this fire out. You can't shut this light off. You can't dim it down. You can't flip the switch on it. This light is a present, progressive tense. It's going to keep shining and keep on shining. And so John is very deliberate with his language here. And it's very critical for us because in when you think about particular tragedies that happen in America today, when something bad happens, you usually get somebody comes to a podium at a news broadcast and they'll stand up before all the people and they'll want to bring some words of encouragement and often they'll unknowingly refer to this text, but they do it wrong. They'll say, and the darkness will not overcome our light. Let me just tell you something, that's not what John is saying here. See, what people say in those kind of situations is that it is the goodness of humanity that will enable us to get over this problem, that will enable us to overcome this darkness. Let me just tell you something as your pastor and as the voice of God to you today, that is not true, that will never be true. The only thing that will help us overcome is not the goodness of man, it is the goodness of God. Can I have an amen out there? And so it's possible, though, that though that is true, that the light can be shining, we can still live in darkness. See, darkness defined is like this. Darkness defined. It's anywhere where we have not given God access or permission to bring his light into our life. It's anywhere we haven't given God access to bring light into our life. So the light is shining that's what John is saying, but are you open to it? Are you, are you available to it? Are you giving permission to it? See, a few weeks ago, I went with Pastor Jerry. He's our executive pastor. And we went to Pennsylvania. And we had this like seven, eight hour drive. He did all the driving, praise God. And, uh, but still, even though when we got there, we had to have a little dinner and then have a little, uh, had a meeting that I spoke at. And then I get back to the hotel and I'm tired. And I want to go to bed. So we just kind of went our separate ways. I went to my room. He went to his room. And when we get into the hotel room, you know this to be true if you've ever been to a hotel, they have those, those, those blinds, those curtains that literally, uh, uh, the curtains conceal all light. You shut them and it's just like, poof, 
you are in darkness, right? And, and so what was interesting was I would be speaking the next day, so I wanted to get to bed as soon as possible. Um, and I go to bed about 11 p.m.-ish or so, and I close those big bad boys, and I set my alarm for the next morning, hashtag so I thought. And I go to bed, and, and, and here, here's what's interesting about those curtains. Those curtains are so thick that if you're not careful, uh, you may miss, when, you may not know, you may not see when the morning comes. Are you guys seeing where I'm going with this, okay? And so later on, uh, in the middle of the night, I get up to go to the restroom, the facilities, I'm over 50, praise the Lord, and I come back, and um, I just thought I'll go check the, you know, the, the, the blinds, the curtains, and just make sure they're sealed tough, because I, I, I need to get a few more hours of sleep, and so I go over, and I rattle them, and when I rattle them, they open up, and all of a sudden, this light just comes, this, I was like, ah, I was like a vampire that just got hit by light, and, and, and just this little crack, this little amount of light between the two curtains, and it just permeated the entire room. Man, I shut those things up, and I went back over to my bedside table. I looked at my alarm, and I realized it was set for p.m., not a.m., and it was morning, and I was late. Now, think about it. I woke up, and the room was, the room was dark, but the light was still shining. The room was dark, but the light was still shining, and it had been shining for quite some time. I didn't realize it until I had opened the curtains, until I had let just a little bit of light into that room. As soon as I let a little bit of light into that room, it affected the entire room. Darkness was dispelled. See, that light in the room is precisely what I'm trying to get you to see, and more importantly, what John was trying to get us all to see, that Jesus was, see, Jesus equals light. Jesus is the light that wants to come into the dark rooms of your life, but he is waiting for you to open up the curtains of your life just a little bit and let him come in. Come on, that'll preach. I hope you guys are tracking with me right now. I realized that day that God wanted to do something similar inside of me that he did in that hotel room. He wanted me to just open a crack of my heart, a crack of my life, just, just open up the windows of my heart. And, and if I would, the darkness within would be overcome. God wants to do the same thing for you, sir, ma'am, boy or girl, whoever's listening out there. He wants to do something miraculous in your life. If you will invite just a little bit of life, a little bit of light, you will receive life from him. Because some of you right now, your marriages are in darkness. You're coexisting. You're just... You're just, you're just doing time. You're not redeeming time. You're roommates. You are sleeping inches from each other, but you're miles apart. Some of you have been battling the same addictions year after year for a long time, all by yourself trying to figure it out and relapsing again and again. If you would just open the curtain a little bit more and let a little bit more light in, light will always overcome darkness. Some of you have some kind of childhood trauma. We can speak to that, but it's shaping the way you think, the shaping the way you react, it's shaping the stories and the scripts in your mind. Will you open yourself up to more of God's light? As I conclude, let me give you four invitations about light at Advent. Here's what happens. See, Advent invites us to identify the darkness in us. 
Where are the places of suffering, unhealed pain? Where is the brokenness? Where are the places of addiction? Where is the, the helplessness? Where is the despair in your life? What keeps you up at night? What are you afraid of? See, Advent invites us to identify the darkness inside of us. The second thing is that Advent invites us to locate the darkness around us. See, God's not wanting you to just spend your whole life fixing yourself and just bringing light to yourself. No, because in your workplace, there is darkness. In your school, in your neighborhood, in your family line, there are people who are suffering around you, and God wants you to locate them and bring his light through you to them. Can I have an amen? You're called to be a source of light in a dark world. We are the light of the world. We're called to be a city of light on a hill. We are called to bring darkness to, excuse me, light into this dark world. Number three, Advent invites us to resist the ways of darkness. Advent invites us to resist the ways of darkness. See, if you're going to follow Jesus, If you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to resist darkness. The Bible says in James 4, 7, uh, resist the devil and he will flee from you. You The devil won't flee from you if you are not prepared and willing to resist him. And so uh, um, Dr. King said it like this. He said, darkness can't drive out darkness. And only light can drive out darkness. Only, only hate can't drive out hate. Only love can drive out hate. So we must be resistors of darkness. Are you resisting darkness? Or are you just giving in to darkness? Are you just surrendering to what social media is saying? Are you just surrendering to uh, your uh, fleshly tendencies and your feelings? No, we are called to be resistors of darkness. And number four, Advent invites us not to fear the darkness. Not to fear the darkness. This is one of the biggest takeaways from John chapter 1 for me is, you know, is I realized the power of light. See, if I would just, that picture in that hotel room just, it helped me so much. If I would just peel back the curtain a little bit, just a little bit of light, if I would just invite a little bit of light into that room, God would dispel and expel the darkness. You just need some more light and your situation can turn around. First John 2.8, it's not in your notes, it says, I'm writing to you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. See, the true message of Advent is that light is available to you if you would just open up yourself to the light. Will you, will you do that? Will you consider that today? And so as we close and as we conclude, I just want you to put your Bibles away, put your notes away, give your full attention to this one. Don't check out right now. This is when you need to really tune in, okay? You might need to close your eyes where you are. I want you to just think about what I'm saying to you. Think about, think about where, where is the darkness in your life? Can you locate it? Can you identify it? Where are you stuck in sin? Where are you in habitual, chronic sin, bad habits? Where are you hopeless? Where are you fearful? Can you name it? It's important that you do. And if you in that place could tenderly ask God, just ask God not to just whip open the windows, you know, and, and too much light too fast, but no, would you just say, God, could you just open, could you just open, I'm gonna open myself up to you. Would you just give me a little bit of light? And as you name it, and without shame and without fear, God's light wants to come into your life and he wants to come into, in essence, the rooms, those dark rooms in your, in your soul. And you just say, God, that's where I'm at. 
That, that, that's me. That's where I'm at right now. And when you do that and you're honest like that, God can intervene. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'd like to pray for you. Those of you that are struggling in some way, shape, or form with darkness, and we all are, would you just pray? Pray with me. Just join me in your hearts. God, I just, I just ask that light would invade people's lives within the sound of my voice, the redemptive light of God, the restorative light of God, the, 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 the ways that light can just fill a room. Would you fill their lives, Lord, with your light and with your truth? God, as they open up their hearts to you, as they become more vulnerable uh, in relationship with you and with others, they become more vulnerable in relationship with you and others, they become more accountable with you and with others. Lord, your light comes into their life and they are changed and they are transformed in Jesus' name. And now for every person that you know as you listen to this message, you know you are far from God. God is, in, in your mind, he's way up there and you're way down here. There's something powerful that happened. First Timothy 2.5 says there's one mediator between God and you. And that mediator is Jesus. It's not your works, your effort, or anything you could do. Jesus already did it. You just have to accept what he did for you. And if you're ready, if you're willing to open up your heart to him and invite him into your life, you can be in right standing with him. You can have eternal security. And you can begin this journey of expelling all the darkness from your life and your life never being the same again. But you need to start by saying yes to Jesus. And so if you're willing to say yes to Jesus right there on your computer, you can just raise your hand and say, I want to pray to receive Jesus with Pastor D right now. That's me. And, and in just a minute, we're going to give you some instructions, so hang on. But if that's you, would you pray with me right now? Say this. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it. Say it like, you know, your life depended on it because your eternity does. Say, Jesus. Jesus, I'm asking you to save me, to rescue me, to redeem me. Because of what you did already for me on Calvary 2,000 years ago. You paid for my sin. You, you were the perfect sacrifice, so I don't have to be that sacrifice. And I accept, by grace through faith, what you did for me. And because of that, I can be saved. I can be secure. I can be certain about my future now and forever in Jesus' name, amen. Now, what's happening right now is in heaven there's a party and people are rejoicing. And we want to help you not only celebrate with you, but we all want to help you on your journey. And so if you would take a moment and you would text to Saved at 97,000, what we're going to do is we're going to send you a book. I'm going to send you a book and it's called What's Next? What now? What do I do now? I said a prayer. Uh, my security, I believe what just happened. I know I'm good with God, but where do I go? We're going to send you a book. We're going to help you with that. I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to this message. I pray it changed you from the inside out. Join me next week as we continue this series on the Advent, Light of the World. Have a great Sunday afternoon. God bless you.